Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me. Swivel hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. All right. Uh, what are we going to call this? We're going to call this, I called it rants and rickshaws, reporters and rickshaws. Um, someone said pedicab, podcasts, Alex Spear. What, what's the name? What do you, what do you want? I, what do I you like, like? I like reporters and rickshaws. Reporters I think that's rickshaws. pretty great. Well, the problem is, is that we can only do that when actual reporters are in the rickshaws. But fortunately, we, we not only have a reporter, we have an author. An author, Alex. <laughs> an author. How's that feel? Uh, it feels it, it feels pretty extraordinary, Rob. Like I uh, yesterday was the first time that I got to do a book signing, and like to have people who were actually open to buying the book. Oh, and, you're you famous! Know, How did the fame? Not not the fame, the satisfaction, the fact that there's something that you know that I produced something that people were kind of excited about is pretty special. So uh, it's an exhausting process. And first of all, we want to make make this very clear. We are on the pedicab. We are yeah, on the ass of exhausting taxi. processes. <laughs> we, 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 Ryan, Ryan wearing his Lord Hobo Boom Sauce shirt is uh, is the one engaged in the most exhausting process. Here. We, we we are we are once again taking podcasting to a new level. <laughs> it was the evolution, the revolution that was the first one. Ken Laird, kerosene Ken Laird. That's well, a rant with Rickshaw. Rant, a rant with Rickshaw. This is Reporters with Rickshaw with Alex Peer, author of Homegrown, also a former employee of WI.com, current employee of the Boston Globe. But we are going to focus on this Rickshaw ride, this ass taxi ride, uh, with, with pumping up the book with, because it deserves to be pumped up. And first of all, isn't it, this is, well, look at this, like everyone's trying to run me over. Don't they know who's in there? <laughs> this it's is an author! I'm, I'm so glad that you're getting video of this because we may need to submit it for, uh, for legal purposes. <laughs> it's, so Alex, is this what you expected it to be, honestly? Uh, is you've, been on the, you've been on the podcast before, but this is... This is a very, very different approach to, pod, to podcasting with you, Rob. You and I have had many a recorded conversation before. This is unquestionably the most dangerous conversation that we've ever engaged in and for that reason also the most thrilling well so i would ask you this the first question i would ask alex is that 10 years ago did you ever think on a beautiful august day <laughs> you'd be riding in, in in an ass taxi doing a podcast holding the book that you wrote that is about to come out when it was it coming out tomorrow is the sale tomorrow, tuesday so, august 13th so tuesday so probably when you listen to that it'll already be out so all that 10 years ago could you have ever imagined that you'd be sitting in this spot right now doing exactly what you're doing 
Uh, not in this country. <laughs> there might have been some consideration to it. You know, back in my uh, in my days as an aspiring travel guide writer, I, I maybe could have imagined the uh, the the rickshaw the rickshaw reading, if you will, uh, of uh, of a debut book. But uh, but this is uh, this is not. This is not necessarily what I imagined unfolding uh, at the start of at the dawn of weei.com. No, no, and this is what this. I'm so glad that we've managed to come to this point, bringing dreams together. Rob. Really, really have, and so I want to get to. I, I've written a book, Alex. You've yeah. not nearly as successful this book is going to you, be. You have been a sole I've, author. You've been a co-author. You have done a lot, Rob. I've written two books, and I know the process that it takes. And I know that the uh, the blood, sweat, and tears that go into writing a book. And did for, so, I guess the first question I would ask before I want you to give me the 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 takeaway, the 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 story from this book is going to sell books. You know, the excerpt. Okay, yeah, I want. <laughs> I'll just read straight off the back cover. Rob. Yeah, no, 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 no. The, the story, the anecdote. You know, you know what I'm saying. Like, this thing is going to number one that I am going to clip from this podcast and put up there, and everyone's going to be running to the shelves and read the book and not only read the book but then read the rest of the book and then say Alex give me more book give me the audio book <laughs> give me the sequel of the book so I'm going to ask I would, I would like to point out that uh, that HarperCollins and uh, William Morrow Books was kind enough to in the audio version of the book where they had initially had my Name mispronounced is Alex Spire. Uh, that has since been fixed. It is now Alex Spear in the uh, in the audiobook. So thank you. My well, dad will be so happy when he listens to it. <laughs> Who's it? James Earl Jones? You get him? <laughs> Who's reading it? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, it's 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 straight the voice of Darth Vader. I. Uh, no, who's it, reading it? Uh, there is uh, there's a wonderful uh, there's there's a wonderful narrator from Harper uh, who Harper Collins is uh, is using. You for probably the don't know, but I auditioned for that role. Mm. So thanks for pulling some strings. <laughs> You've already told the story of my life in so many other ways. <laughs> I didn't want to take up too much more of your well, time. This is a story of Alex Fear. Um, <laughs> So, Alex. So, did you when you started the process? And I know that you had gone. You had the, the process started actually a few years ago, correct? Yeah, the idea for a book started uh, started back in 2015 uh, when the Red Sox had signed Yohan Mankata, and I was going down to Greenville uh, to cover his debut with the single A Greenville Drive. And you know, as you remember, because you encouraged me to do it, um, I've covered the Red Sox farm system very closely. I used to I used to write a daily a daily recap of kind of the day in prospect development. Yes. Uh, for in Henry the Red Sox Owens pitched another good game. Yeah, he pitched a lot of them. Well, it started out with starter Matt Barnes being super dominant in in Greenville in 2012. But um, but yeah, in 2015 I was going down and I was going to see Mankata, but he was joining a team that featured Rafael Devers and Michael. Kopech yep. and Michael Chavis and Mauricio Dubon and Javier Guerra and that eventually was going to feature Andrew Benintendi and uh, Anderson Espinoza and I was you know I was kind of taken with the idea of damn that's an interesting group of young players and yes. you know if I don't know that Mankata is going to be the best one among them uh, and the fact that I don't know is pretty interesting because Mankata is the most expensive prospect in baseball history and so what would happen if you followed those dudes for five years mm. like if you watched a scatter plot of those guys and figured out where their career developments took them that'd be awfully interesting and you how could long do you something. think that process was going to take because obviously 
you know, you, you have the idea, you, it's not just, hey, here's a year in Greenville, which what a delightful idea that would be, just spending a year in Greenville. But this it's is a great place, this, by the, the way. It's an I'm awesome park sure, and it's a really see, cool city. I'm not crapping on Greenville. No, no, we're pro-Greenville I on mean, this if, ride. If, if, if Ryan ever wants to take this pedicab, this ass taxi, this rickshaw down to Greenville, then G forces in G. I, I, would, I would be yeah. all for. It. I think. I think Ryan, this is going to be the next level that we're going to do minor league uh, reporters and rickshaws. We can. Uh, and, I think that Ryan would hook us and, up. We and can and get to like Lowell, Pawtucket, Portland. All ports of call. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, it was going to be a long process. It was going to be. You were digging in on this, right? Yeah, because I have young kids, and so I didn't have necessarily time to write a book in uh, in a compressed time frame. But I figured, you know, if you follow for five years. See what happens. See if maybe one of those guys emerges as an all-star. Some of them see their careers basically come to an end. Uh, by the end of that, you could figure out some stuff, and then you could, um, and you could maybe write a book about it. Maybe, maybe 2020, 2021, you would you would know some things and be able to write about them. But then everyone starts getting traded. And was there was there a time where you like oh this isn't going to happen this isn't going to work or did, were you were you ready to power through no matter what? No, I thought that the trades made it more interesting okay. because the scatter the diaspora that was occurring uh, made it awfully interesting to you know this was the scatter plot right this is this is what happens when you have a really kind of interesting nucleus of a lot of guys in starting in one place in one time and seeing all the different places they go. Um, but the thing that was hard was. Uh, the thing that was hard was the number of was the amount of time I, I didn't have time you know between my job uh, for the globe and between responsibilities as a dad um, it was it was getting hard to I was still tracking what was happening with a lot of guys um, but I was I didn't have time to write Hold up it. the book to your face while you're talking about I sure will thanks Rob <laughs> <laughs> all right the uh, so all right so you you power through and then then it's sort of I don't know if it takes a turn, but it, 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 it takes a turn in the bank account, I would imagine. <laughs> well, it took a turn in the immediate in the need for immediacy, which was, you know, I was I had been thinking about that, you know, just that twenty fifteen group for a while. And then in the postseason it's becoming awfully clear that, you know, that there's something very special about the twenty eighteen Red Sox. Um, and, you know, it also strikes me that I've covered every day of the careers of Jackie Bradley Jr. and Matt Barnes and Mookie Betts and you know we had started writing about feats of Mookie on WEI.com yes. back in 2013 when he went from a guy who was hitting a buck fifty with a 375 OBP, uh, which was interesting, um, to maybe the one of the two best five tool prospects in the minors along with Byron Buxton. Um, Ryan is going uphill right now, and man. Like much respect, no, Ryan. Ryan is we're a man. We're about to go down. About to go down. So okay. Yeah. Turn I, your hats backwards. <laughs> hold on to them. Brace yourselves. Hold your books. I I can't believe that Ryan just talked into the microphone while he was doing oh, this. The is what he does. So listen, of all the of all the podcast pedicab drivers in the world, he is the absolute the best. He is the top of the heap. We told him, forget about the podcast <laughs> taking to another level because of what we're doing here. And we're taking his brand to another level. Boston taxi bike taxi. <laughs> Boston bike taxi. So beauty of the editing process. I don't I don't why I've said it on the radio a bunch of times. I'm sure that everyone's a buzz about this. Boston bike taxi has never been hotter. It's ringing off the hook. It's it just is. ringing off the hook. It I'm is. beating them away with a stick. 
Rightly so, and in a time of, you know, oh my gosh, it's happening, it's happening. This will be also be the first time a podcast happens where somebody dies while doing it. It's the last promotional on my own drone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. We're in Kenmore we're Square, by. people. That was boom sauce. <laughs> sauce was boomed. I believe my my sauce may have just boomed. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, okay, so so, so yes, 2018 season yes. was uh, 2018 season was unfolding, and you know it, it struck me that if uh, if I was ever going to do the book, that probably there was never going to be a better time to do it. This was um, the time. While while watching that postseason unfold, and particularly given the opportunity to link up uh, some of those members of the 2015 Greenville group with the other players whose entire career arcs I had covered and who had themselves intersected previously. Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr., Matt Barnes, whose entire professional careers I had covered. Um, and so, you know, there were some uh, publishers, most notably William Morrow Books, uh, an imprint of HarperCollins agreed. So, um, so as all systems way. go, and so all systems once, go. So once you dig in, now it's a time element. Once you dig in, is it was the process more exhausting than you ever anticipated? Uh, yeah, for uh, for a number of reasons. You know, first it was the compressed time. Ta- I, I had a lot of research done throughout the years um, on the players and their development arcs, um, but uh, you know. Then there were a lot of supplemental supplemental interviews to conduct um, to kind of round out the edges of the development period of basic, mostly 2011 through 2018. Um, but then on top of that, you know, uh, there were extenuating circumstances. Your kids and your wife. Say, my kids, are my wife, and what th- are you doing? Yes, and you know, I also, you know, a, a significant part that impacted the process was the fact that um, our good friend and colleague Nick Cafardo. Yes. Uh, passed away. So you had uh, to take on more responsibilities. So of the globe, I had to take right? on more responsibilities while also wearing the very heavy grief of you know Nick's passing, yes. and that certainly wasn't anticipated. Um, you know, it's still pretty poignant to think about. Um, you know, we miss Nick a lot, and that, that was that was a lot. So was there any time where you felt that this I'm not going to be able to do this? I mean, well, you're not of that mind. I know that you, once you make a commitment, you say I'm going to power through this. But it's like, oh, man, this is like all of these things that you talked about. This is a lot of obstacles. Yeah, it was uh, it it was between February and April. It was uh, otherwise known as spring training, otherwise known as spring training. (laughs) Like it was I knew that I had to get it done, but I didn't know how I could get it done. And I was very worried about uh, the repercussions for my health and well-being of of getting well, the problem I would imagine, and I ran into this, but you, I think, even more of a mindset that uh, along these lines than I am, of you always think there's something more around the corner. And so you have to sort of, when you have a deadline like that, when you have that much information, you think there's more, there's more, there's more. And to actually just having to cut it off, you know, especially as much great information that's in this book. My, uh, yeah, there, there, you know, there's more. There's always more digging that can be done, um, and yeah, there just had to be an endpoint. There was, I think, probably around once I got through the interviews with all of, you know, the kind of follow-up interviews with all of the Red Sox players Woo! in spring training. 
Uh, Ryan, by the way, is kind of a he's, navigatory he's, master he, like here. Like I said, he's very good at this. Uh, the the uh, I don't know if it's. I mean, are you Ryan? Are you only good at, at this? Good at this? What? Because you have podcasters in the back. Are you showing off? Yeah, I had a lot of beer last night. <laughs> I'm excited to see it was your Lord faces. Hobo, I'm sure. Yes, a Lord Hobo, as well as some ciders. So yeah, I mean, you guys are just amping me up with that natural energy, as you clearly do wherever you go. Oh, I mean, look at the audience. Oh, but... oh, uh, hello, everybody! It's Alex Spears' book! He, he wrote a book. Hold on. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, no. Thank you. Why, thank you. Will you buy this book? It's about it's the about- Red Sox. Uh, yeah, <laughs> come on, get excited! Yeah, but it tells about it. It tells stories about humanity, humanity as well. Humanity as well. Uh, <laughs> maybe if we get out of their way, they'll be more inclined to purchase it. Well, here's, here's one strategy. You run them over. I would, I would like people to voluntarily <laughs> want to buy the book. It's about, it's about humanity. You would make a terrible <laughs> You need to stay with them. Be up in their business and force them in. That's how you say. There, see, see what we're learning about book promotion. That's a from, very different book that will be written one day in a far darker one, Ryan. I'm a little bit disturbed uh, by by that conversation. How uh, to win friends and make people do things. And how you know. to win friends and sell books. Um, so you powered through. Yes. Congratulations. Thank and, you. And, and what was the what was the thing that when we talk about you you just saying this is so good this is so good I want to look into it almost the book off the book what was the thing you said I wish I had more and more time to dig in on this because this is so interesting. I mean there were there were there were a few different elements uh, there there were a lot of different tangents that could have been um, that would have been pretty interesting to dig in on at some length. I think that one that was one that captured a lot of my attention because I didn't have a good sense of it before were the cultural dynamics surrounding both the uh, the 2014 Red Sox, the year after they won the World Series yes. in 2013, and when the environment in which uh, the rookie seasons for Xander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Mookie Betts, there was a lot of shit going on, quite yes. frankly, in that in that year that I, I didn't fully appreciate. Like, we knew that it was a hard season for the Red Sox to follow up that 2013 season of startling success and unexpected success. Um, and, you know, to be a last-place team the year after was, you know, a... a that, that was really painful for a lot of people. Uh, I don't think that we realized just how how strained that environment what was. was the, what was the thing that you maybe didn't realize at the time that came to light for the book, I mean, it was jarring for me to learn that, for instance, Mookie Betts was happy to be demoted that season. Mm. Uh, there's an excerpt of the book going up on the Globe today, June, uh, August 12th. Yes, a few um, days about ago. how uh, about how Mookie Betts was found the veterans, found the atmosphere with the veterans, and this is someone who had grown up in the game, right? Like Mookie Betts has a great, has an uncle, Terry Shumpert, who had been a major league baseball player for the Red Sox. Uh, Mookie had spent time, like every day at the field with him in Nashville as a you know as a nine-year-old in in 2004, and you know to to hear that Mookie Betts had found, or rather, I guess I'm sorry, that was when Mookie was 12. Yeah. But to hear that Mookie Betts was um, was so disheartened 
by you know being told about all of the things he was doing wrong in by the know, players or the coaches by the players and then having it further translated to him by the coaches the coaches were trying to do so in more generous fashion than the players like it's it's startling that's a that's a culture that no longer exists in baseball or certainly not with the red sox right like i think that the cultural dynamics of player development and of bringing players up to the big leagues right. are now different with if Alex you're, i mean we've talked if, if you're up like you're expected to produce, right? You and are expected to produce, but now the there's a willingness to teach yeah, players. What which that is, means. I mean, we're talking about five years ago. Yeah. This, this was like so he was he was he was like he had said before, like he had not only had a hard time getting used to the town, the city he wasn't a city guy, but it, as you point out in the book, that. This was really an uncomfortable thing for, which was a guy who was already at that time probably perceived as a cornerstone for the team going forward. Yeah, he had been described, he had been established as an untradeable part of the team's future and as someone who, you know, he, he as a potential all star. And the players were really eager for him to come up in 2014 because the season had gone, had defied expectations. Uh, and then when he did come up and didn't understand necessarily all of the, you know, all of the kind of unwritten rules of the game, um, at that point... Hold the book up. Hold the book up again. <laughs> um, when, when he came up, like, he, he just found it so jarring to try to make that transition that it was, it was unsettling and uncomfortable for him and clearly, I think, had a negative impact on the seasons that... He and Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley Jr. were having, along with the fact that the veterans who were expected to produce that year were having really crummy seasons in their own right. So learning more about how difficult that 2014 season was as a developmental environment, I think, was pretty It's a great part of the book. It's a great and, – and it's funny because when I think back to that, I think of the Jackie Bradley Jr. dynamic, right? Yeah. About – like, that was the thing that was out in the open for us, right? And, and – but across the board, you know, what you do a great job in this book is describing, you know, not only that time that then you, when you're talking about the development of these guys going forward to really when it was the bridge, the crossroads where they became what they were, right? Yeah, well, I think that there was a lot of self-discovery for the players that occurred in, uh, in late 2015 as a group. You know, and remember, it's, it's kind of fascinating to think about this, about the Red Sox players, not in terms of individual development, but in terms of collective development, um, because there, there is a group dynamic that's in play with a lot of these young homegrown cores that you see succeeding in baseball, whether it's the Astros who had a, who, the players who won the World Series for them had been together in the minors. The Royals guys had been through a lot of difficult stuff uh, together, both at the minor league and the major league level. The Red Sox guys, Jackie Bradley Jr. was able to flourish when he was around players who had seen him being one of the best players in minor league baseball in the minor leagues, right? Yes. And so finally he got to a point in 2015 where he was surrounded by those players who believed in his ability and who were, you know, he... He was able to thrive around people who believed in him. By the way, this is the first time that anyone's ever written down, uh, rode down Newbury Street. What are we, New, Newbury Street? Newbury Street, you betcha. Yes, wearing the, a hooded sweatshirt and a, and what is that, a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt? a Hawaiian shirt. I feel like he's looking, oh, I was, uh, I was obviously, and Ryan has his 
Bradford Show Boom Sauce t-shirt on. Everyone's looking at us saying, you're not some of the most beautiful people, but you are some of the most innovative and classiest <laughs> people that we've ever seen. We are changing the dynamic of podcasting and changing the dynamic of how people view each other on Newberry Street. Uh, yes, this is this is definitely a... Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not going to say we fit in seamlessly, <laughs> but we are we are noticeable. Thank you to, for taking us into the belly of the beast, Ryan. Yes, I wanted to lead you down a very distracting road. Ryan is Ryan is one of the interview. beautiful people. I feel like Ryan, but for the fact that he's you know, but but for the fact that he's suffering through uh, through our us as cargo would fit in well on. Are you uh, kidding? On this, this is, this is the sweet spot for Boston bike taxi, right? Yeah, you guys are perfect weight. You're adding stability. If I don't have more weight, I, it's, there's a danger the wind is going to pick me up and take me away. So thank you for you needed that the extra grounded. bit of drag to uh, to really make this uh, a balanced ride. That's, I mean, that's the nicest compliment every, anyone's ever given me. I'm adding while, stability while calling us overweight at the same time. Not Rob though, actually. Rob, Rob is awake in 180. You know, we're we're trying. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. So you go through, so when you go through those years yeah. of of figuring out and then coming out on the other side, right? Cultural dynamics right. that were that were played an important role in helping the players and, to become. And meanwhile, the and meanwhile, why these guys, as you expertly point out in the book, why these guys are finally figuring out how to become really, really good baseball players, is sort of a chaotic time in the organization, right? It, yeah, totally. It's, you know, again, late 2015 is when, as a group, they kind of started seeing, oh, we have a chance to be really good, uh, which is also the time that John Farrell had to step down because he was undergoing chemotherapy after having gotten his diagnosis uh, for cancer. And uh, and so Tori Lovello is the interim manager. Ben Charrington is, you know, Ben Charrington is fired as, you know, is replaced as the head of baseball operations by Dave Dombrowski. These young players, and frankly, everyone in the Red Sox organization, was seeing stuff that they had never seen before. So it's a time of chaos that could have blown apart the organization. Mm. But instead, they kind of found, they, they kind of laid the bedrock of what they were going to become moving forward and found their, you know, found their cultural identity um, as, a, as a group of players uh, in the middle of this chaos. And what's interesting, Alex, is that you have... You have basically, you know, we talk about the right guy at the right time. John Farrell in 2013. Unquestionably. Uh, the right guy at perfect, the right time. Perfect but tone then, for the organization. when they get a taste of Lavello, yeah. for the group that you're focusing on the this book, like Lavello was probably the right guy at the right a time. A huge transitional figure for them. They they were able to relate to Tori Lavello, who came from a player development background. He had managed many years at every level of minor league baseball, and so had an approach where the job of the manager is a teaching responsibility, um, and one in which you're kind of you're connecting to young players. You're trying to encourage them to be the freest and best versions of themselves. And so the way that Tori Lavello described it was he was able to watch these players, you know, running around with the freedom of guys who are like playing frisbee on the beach. But Tori Lavello was a Tori Lavello brought the frisbee for yeah. them to play with uh, in many ways. And John Farrell was cognizant of it. He right. was he observed what was happening and was struck by it and recognized that it was really important for the players to be given a different degree of freedom and encouragement. Um, to to rec to realize their full talents, uh, but yeah, Tori Lavello was, you know, he was an interim manager who was who who struck the perfect chord for the organization at at a time when they really needed that because again, these players are looking around and saying, "What is going on?" <laughs> While there's so much change happening around them, and he he helped to transition them through it. When you 
uh, there's some great things that you uncover. And when you uncover sort of the dynamic of the Farrell Dombrowski dynamic, did that surprise you? Yes. Okay, give me that story. Um, well, I, in 20, I, I, they worked together well in 2016, right? There, there have been a there have been a turn publicly, uh, or at least a skepticism of John Farrell publicly. I think in 2016, where you know. Uh, WEEI and maybe some other radio stations asked a lot of questions uh, about whether or not he was the right people to be leading the Red Sox. Uh, those questions were not being asked internally in the 2016 season. Dave and John worked well together in that season, but uh, at the conclusion of it, there's that weird press conference. Oh, the weird one. By the I passed John in the hall and told him that he's back. Yeah, after John Farrell had had his end-of-year press conference sitting there by himself, he had been in the habit of having end-of-year joint press conferences with Ben Sherrington. And in this case, at the end of the year, that's that's how Dave Dombrowski prefers to conduct them, manager and then, and then head of baseball ops separately. John didn't know that. John Farrell didn't necessarily know that. And so he's sitting there on his own without knowing officially his status for 20, uh, for the 2017 season, yep. even though he's under contract. So John Farrell is being asked questions about his job stability that he hasn't had answered for himself. Uh, and then in, in passing, Dave Dombrowski told him, by the way, you're, you're back next year. All good. Great job. Um, <laughs> and that was weird for John Farrell. And he started asking himself questions about whether or not he was truly Dave Dombrowski's guy. Uh, and so that those questions, even after John Farrell's option for 2017 was picked up, uh, they, they persisted. Wow, that's a wrecked car that we just We're, passed. Oh yeah, that's they should have been on a rickshaw. Yeah, there you go. They should have been. Well, they, on, are, they will, will. They will be now. Absolutely. Boston if they had known taxi. Ryan, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, at any rate, those questions persisted into the season and created an underlying kind of tension and uncertainty surrounding the dynamic that boiled over in pretty dramatic fashion. Uh, in one instance, um, after. Uh, on, coincidentally, on the same day that the uh, on the same day that added, that the Adam Jones that the racist incident directed yep. at Adam Jones occurred, uh, which was startling and jarring for the organization and for many of its players in its own right. Uh, on that same night, John Farrell and Dave Dombrowski had a pretty big blowout in the clubhouse that was overheard by a bunch of players, and you know certainly became known to all of the players very quickly, and thus. You know, the, that underlying strain of their dynamic was, was a, an ongoing storyline to all the players throughout the rest of the season. All the way to the end where you have that, with the instance where basically that meeting with Dave Dombrowski and John Farrell, right? At, the, at yes. the end of the season when there's kind of, you know, John Farrell was expecting at the end of the season that there was a pretty good chance he was going to be fired. Um, even though I, I think that it's, you know, John Farrell felt that he did a good job of in-game management that year, and objectively, he's right. Like, they won a ton of extra inning games yep. that year. The reason why they won the AL East that year was because of all those extra inning wins. Um, granted, you know, the players were redlining in terms of effort level that year, so you can ask questions about whether or not it was the right long-term thing, but short-term, game-to-game, John Farrell did a really good job of managing the bullpen to preserve a lot of scoreless ties uh, and then win a bunch, 15 games next year. Anyway, John Farrell thought that he was probably going to be fired at the end of the season. He was told to come into Fenway Park uh, the day after the season. No surprise to him. Uh, so he, he simply asked Dave Dombrowski the question, so you said on the last day of the season when we or when we clinched that I had done a really good yes, job. Yes, he did. I remember that. What changed? Yes. And 
Dave Dombrowski didn't have an answer for him. That uh, and John was like, you know what? Forget it. No need to answer. <laughs> I get I get what's going on here. Right. Thanks for everything. And kind of packed his. It's stuff. a great. It's a great point in the book. There's a lot of great points in the book. Homegrown. Um, Alex Spear, and I want to go back to the the obviously the focus of the book, which is the development of these guys. Well, and that that plays into the development, right? Like because the young players felt that tension again. It's oh, the, like the, I said, I mean that yeah. that time span. I mean, it's great, is it like leading up to it and everything else? But that time span, that those few years, are such a key key time and such a weird time. So weird, and and so I, I really do think that you know again we take we think of player development as an individual under enterprise. But there's so much that has to be done right surrounding it on a collective basis and a cultural basis in order to be able to maximize the abilities of a, of a young group. So, so Alex, when you... Like, like rides with Ryan. I oh, my to goodness. Say that would be one way of maximizing Ryan, how, how are you doing, all right? Doing great, guys. Doing great. Oh, okay. yeah. Any anytime you want to take a breather, that's that's a good. I it's we're not gonna we won't tell anybody at all. It'll be like we're just cruising on through at 50 miles an hour. I was born to do this. <laughs> this is this ain't nothing. <laughs> Working an actual sock shift. This is a walk in the park. There you go. Um, so so when you look at these guys, all this collection of guys, who is the guy that? Uh, Knowing what they went through, knowing the development of them, who is the guy that you said, what well, this surprised me the most about this guy, that it, it ended up here? And it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, I didn't realize Mookie Betts was going to be an MVP. But maybe, you know, there was, there's a, as you point out in the book, there's a long path to get to where it's a great example and a great lesson about what has to happen for a guy to become a legitimate major leaguer. And yeah, to build that, to build that group, like, you know, how there has to be some luck involved. There's a passionate scout underlying the process of discovering Mookie Betts is what the Red Sox saw as a potential everyday player. But then, boy, did they luck into a guy whose power developed well beyond anything uh, that they realized was possible. Um, I, I, it's so hard to say that there's one guy who I didn't realize, um, you know, I, I didn't realize what he might become. I really do think that the the impressive thing is to recognize. I, I know that this is a this season is a strange time to discuss this, but uh, I, I think that there is a toughness to this group that existed that's probably underrated because they went through a lot of crap in order to get to the point that they did uh, as 2018 champions. And, you know, it's something that you can't take for granted. The ability to to go through hard times in Boston and to come out on the other side, um, I, I think takes a degree. The fact that they were able to go through weird cultural dynamics to win the AL East twice in 2016 and 2017, even before the World Series, like charmed season of 2018, I think attests to a toughness that probably shouldn't be underrated as we look at this season of, you know, incredible disappointment for mm-hmm. them. But understanding what they what they still can be going forward um it's kind of an, a baby in the bathwater type of issue mm, baby uh, in the bathwater baby in the bathwater issue mm, interesting um, and there there's still an, a lot of talent and a lot of and you know and the the makings of very good players who are able to excel in a number of environments when you got this is regarding the actual book when you get the book in the mail is that sort of like the bolt like for me that was it that was like when i got that box of books in the mail and i actually saw the hardcover of it i mean that must for you was that like hey 
Hey, Alyssa. Yeah. Hey, kids, gather around. Yeah. Your daddy's an author. Having or, being, or in the case of your wife, your husband is an author. I, yeah. Being able, I waited until they were home and being able to uh, to open it and you know, my my wife got choked up. Like you know, being able to read the dedication. Like my sons were like you know, were like screaming and you know, uh, they couldn't have been more excited. It um, that that was unquestionably I, I, that that the rewards of that moment exceeded any of my expectations and made the process incredibly fulfilling and then the opportunity to like see people buying the book like it oh again, yeah it sounds strange but you know the the fact that there were people who yesterday when i was at the saber seminar uh were interested in buying the you know the, the first people buying the book um and who wanted me to sign it like that was really pretty special that there were people who were interested in uh in hearing this story of course and then it's now a great story. being a rickshaw oh listen with ryan and, and uh, rob rickshaw with ryan and rob lead, also alliterative all roads lead to rickshaw rob and rickshaw ryan uh ryan you want to tell that joke now here we go here's here's the uh rickshaw pedicab ass it taxi be as funny when we're hit by a car as we pedal one way like the other that, direction i like that nice cool. subtle lead up this is going to take one second some delicate navigation because <laughs> It has to be perfectly timed. So, gentlemen, before I continue this rickshaw ride, <laughs> does anyone in your party have a food allergy? <laughs> no food allergies. Because there's going to be a lot of gluten on this ride. You know what I mean? I hope my butt. I hope my butt was real sweaty for that one. <laughs> that was distinctly so, Ryan. Congratulations. The delivery was on point. <laughs> Just to set the scene for everybody out there listening to this podcast, Ryan has a sweaty ass. Um, again, things that you never thought, moments that you never thought would happen, but thanks to this book, has actually happened in your life, Alex. I'm speechless. <laughs> well, my, my words are gone. They've been exhausted. Alex, I am super proud of you. And uh, is there anything, any other thing that you want to point out in the book in terms of, you know, I know that it's going to sell. It's going to be a bestseller. I'm not just saying it's going to be a bestseller like, you know, that fake Chasing Steinbrenner. It's <laughs> going to be a bestseller. This is legitimately going to be a bestseller because it's a great topic and it's, a, it's unique. It's well done. It looks good, too, by the way. I love, I actually love when I saw it, I'm like, good for you. I mean, good for you because you want, you're putting that in the hands of other people. But it's a good-looking book, Alex. Thank you, William Morrow Books. They uh, uh, they did an incredible job with uh, with making it uh, something that's that looks really good. On it looks book. really good, and it's going to sell a crap load of copies. Uh, so keep checking those Amazon rankings, <laughs> which I which I had became an absolute slave to. When uh -oh. that's, that's the thing that when you write a book too, is that you think the process is over. It it just changes. Like so, you do the book signings, and it's it's like you experienced the other day. It's great, right? The adulation yeah. and the, the interviews and talking about it and knowing that people else. are going to take the time to read it. Yeah. Absolutely, and and but also then you like then it becomes like okay here are the Amazon rankings <laughs> here are the reviews and they'll all be good but it's all of it it's another it's just another element of it all about the process Rob it is about <laughs> the process uh, last question for you and this I guess is using the book as a jumping off point um, to to get into something that everyone's talking about. Mookie Betts. Yeah. Okay. Mookie Betts, the guy that you followed so expertly throughout this book, 
um, getting to this point, you talked about how uncomfortable he was back in 2014, uh, and and w- whether it was a city, whether it was a team, and everything else, to where he's become now. And everyone talks about will Mookie Betts stay, and what is Mookie Betts' personality? Everyone is different. We've talked to Mookie Betts a lot about this. Knowing Mookie Betts as well as you do, knowing his path as well as you do, do you have sort of an inkling at all? I'm not saying, hey, define, say, yes, he's staying or yes, he's not staying. But what is sort of your inkling about how he's approaching what basically is a year and a half until free agency? The same way that he's approached uh, every financial question in his entire career. Um, I, I truly, there has never been anything to suggest that Mookie Betts does not like being a Boston Red Sox or uh, or with Boston, right? Like, you know, there's been plenty of speculation. Like, I, I think he's truly appreciative of what he's had here. He enjoys being held to, uh, he enjoys being held to high account. He's enjoyed playing for something. Um, and he's enjoyed his, the the teammates who he's, been, who he's grown up with. From the time that he signed as an amateur, which was minutes before the, you know, about 30 minutes in his case, before the midnight deadline on August 15th of, 20, of 2011, he has treated every business negotiation as exactly that in one that's not subject to sentiment. Um, and, you know, he believes that it makes all the sense in the world to, you know, to have the full extent of his abilities recognized financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not afraid to kind of walk that to the brink. Uh, so, you know, we're, what we're seeing in terms of how he's approaching his negotiations uh, with the Red Sox, uh, how he's approached his negotiations with the Red Sox at this point is no different than what got him to the Red Sox initially and every financial conversation he's had with them since. That's great. Seriously, that's good insight and important insight heading into the book season. <laughs> which is the book seating being Christmas, which is going to be, uh, we're going to have a, some sort of definition or some buzz maybe about Mookie Betts, trade market. It's going to be a weird offseason coming like, up. I, I looked at it, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I just say, hey, listen, this is how you have to approach it. You have to do everything you can this offseason to figure out where Mookie Betts stands. Make your best offer. Not do the, the, you know, the bullshit, you know, what they used to do, which is we're going to start low and then try to work with. Make your best offer. Or at least around your best offer. See where you stand. If it's not going to work out, then you got to say, all right, nice having you around. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting one because, you know, it's Mookie's not Paul Goldschmidt where you think that there's a chance of getting an, ex, you know, if if he's traded, who's going to think that they would, you know, be able to extend him? That's a, a kind of interesting wild card to his trade value. It's 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 going to be an awfully complicated decision-making process. Anyway, uh, what isn't complicated is how good this book is. Homegrown. Homegrown. I I just want to say that uh, one of the great pleasures of my career is also the fact that I feel like I am a homegrown member of the Bradfoe tree. Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, coincidentally, I am writing a book on uh, on exactly that. I'm calling it Homegrown, too. Yeah. Boom Sauce is actually the, the... the subtitle is it was weird. There was there's some legal fees involved because it's homegrown to electric boogaloo. <laughs> um, so, so, but you know. So anyway, go out and buy homegrown. It's on shelves. By the time you listen, it's beyond shelves, and it, it's gonna be. You're gonna be hearing a lot about it. It's timely. It's informative. It's well written. It's the whole ball of wax. So I hope you enjoy this experience a lot more than than you did at times, as we point out the book writing experience. But this is the payoff, Alex. This, as you sit here right now, soak it in. This is the payoff. The.
gluten? The gluten. <laughs> the the sweaty ass taxi. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Alex. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Ryan. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.